Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. Father God, we just thank you for today. We ask that you would remove all distraction, Father, from our minds. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us, that the word of God would land on good ground and then begin to grow inside of us, Father. We pray that it bear much fruit in our lives, whether today, tomorrow, or the years to come, Father. We pray that it just lands on good ground and it begins to grow. You bring the increase, Father, so we trust in you to help us grow, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so... We're going to get started. We've got a lot of scripture to cover, okay? So having said that, with the scripture that we are going to cover, I don't, as always, I don't expect you to turn through everything, okay? So Ms. Valley's going to have it on the screen. So if we do call out a scripture, it's up on the screen so you can see it, okay? Because you're going to miss too much if you start turning and turning and turning. I always like to use a lot of scripture, okay? Um, and in this case in particular, we're covering Romans chapter 9. It is a difficult chapter to understand, to break down, okay? So I don't want you to miss anything. Just make sure that you're tuned in and you're paying attention, okay? I'm going to try to read your faces to see if I'm losing you, if I'm confusing you, and so on, so that I can simplify what I need to say, okay? Um, having said that, my title today is going to be People Within a People. That's the title, okay? People within a people. We're going to be reading Romans chapter 9, and we're going to actually start on verse 6, and we're going to go all the way through 26 if we can. That's a lot of verses to cover, okay? But we're going to try it. If we can't, we can't. It doesn't matter. It's going to be all one theme anyways. Um, so having said that, I'm going to do a quick review of what we talked about, what Jonathan talked about last week, okay? So, and even before then, if you remember, we covered in Romans chapter 8, we talked about how God was making a distinction between peoples. And it was the spirit, it was the, the children of God, and it was the children of the flesh or the children of the devil, right? Do you remember that? I think everybody's shaking their head. We remember that. So God was making a distinction, or Paul was making a distinction in chapter 8. He began to make that distinction between groups, okay? Well, he's leading on with that, and in chapter 9, he's making more of a distinction. He's doing that on purpose, and he's going to continue to do that through chapter 10, through chapter 11, okay? But there's a reason. Remember, it's a letter. Paul's audience is Jewish and Gentile Christians, right? That's his audience. So that's who he's writing to in the church, Jewish and Gentile Christians. So he's, he's writing a whole discourse about the gospel and how it affects you and how it, affects the, how it affected them, okay? So that's what's going on. And we read last week in verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1, we read about Paul and, and his burden for his people, right? Uh, Jonathan read that and how Paul says, man, I wish that I'd be cursed so that everybody could be saved. So he has a burden for his people. And then he talked about how they, they're the ones that the law came through. They're the ones that the covenant was uh, given to. They're the ones that salvation, in other words, Christ, the Messiah, came through, right? So he's talking about all this, and he's telling them that for a reason, because he's about to explain more in detail how it affects you and I, right? And this is big to the Jewish community, because they want to know. They want to know how it affects you and I, and it also they also want to know how it affects them. So that's what he's doing in chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Now, I'm going to read verse 6 through 8. Jonathan already covered that, but I'm going to read it because it it actually ties in to where Romans chapter 9, verse 9 starts. Okay, so we're going to go back to verse 6. It says this. This is Paul writing now. He says, It is not as though the word of God had failed. From not all those who are descended from Israel are truly Israel. 
nor are all the children Abraham's true descendants. Rather, through Isaac will your descendants be counted. Okay, so let's go back to verse 6. This is an important question Paul asks. He says, is not, it's, it is not as though the word of God had failed. Why does he make that distinction? It's not a question, but he makes the statement. Why does he make that statement? It's not as though the word of God failed, right? There's two reasons why he makes that distinction, why he makes that statement. Again, his audience, right? So he makes that distinction or that specific statement for a reason. If we'll turn to Psalms chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, let's read that. The king says, now this is, this is being talked about. This is covering who Jesus is, right? This is talking about Jesus. This is in Psalms. The king says, I will announce the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. This very day I have become your father. Ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your personal property. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will smash them like a potter's jar. Okay, so this is actually referring to the Jewish community that was referring to the Messiah. So basically, he was going to come, and he was going to establish his authority, his reign, his kingdom, right? That's what the Messiah was supposed to do, according to the Jews, right? So when, when Paul writes in there, and he makes the statement, has, God, has God's word failed? That's what he's referring to, because he knows in the minds of the Jewish people, they're thinking, how in the world did the Messiah come? We're all saved, but all my people aren't saved. None of them are saved, right? They're refusing. They're rejecting God at this point. It's because they thought that Jesus was supposed to come and reign and bring his kingdom, right? Well, they were technically right. It's the second coming when he's going to come. But they were just wrong in this area, right? So he makes that distinction. He's telling them, hey, this is where you missed it, right? This, this, God's word has not failed. And he's going to explain it further, okay? God's word has not failed. So that was the first reason why he made that statement. And, I, and of course, I'm taking that, trying to extract that from the, the, the text there. In Romans chapter 9, we read this in verse 9. Let's go on. He said, for this, for this is what the promise declared. About a year from now, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Okay. Let's see. Okay. So in this verse, we clearly see that God is speaking to Abraham, telling him, you will have a son. That is the second reason why he made that statement. Why? Because that's going to allude to something, right? We know that Abraham had two sons. We know that, right? But he says, your descendant, you read it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, it is to your descendant that the blessings will come through, right? Descendant, one. But Abraham had two kids, right? So now we're starting to see, okay, if he had two kids, then there's a distinction between the one and the other, right? Okay, we'll go further. Now, Understand this, that one of, the one of the children was made through the flesh. One of them was made through a promise. Okay. So Abraham took it upon himself at one point to have a maiden. And, of course, he had uh, Ishmael. The other one was God's promise. So that's important to know. So let's read on. So this, this leads me to my first point of tonight. Okay. My first point is this. Am I predestined for hell? And my answer is? No, I am not predestined for hell, okay? That is going to be a topic. That is going to be a question you have when you read chapter 9, okay? If you've read it recently, you're going to, you, I'm sure you've had some questions, right? So that's my first point. Am I predestined for hell? And my answer is no, 
a resounding no. Let's read chapter 9, verse 10 in Romans. He says, now this is going on. He says, now, and not only so, he's talking about Abraham. Abraham, he just told you the story about how um, Isaac is born, right? That, in other words, the blessing would come through Isaac. He just said that. We just read that. And now he's saying this, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, who was Isaac? Abraham's son, right? That was the blessing. That was where it was coming from, right? So he's talking about Isaac, and he says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purposes of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now, I'm going to read that again here in verse 7. It says this. I'm going to go back to verse 6, and I'm going to read it quickly, okay? It says, It is not as though the word of God had failed, for not all those who are descended from Israel are truly Israel, nor are all the children of Abraham's true descendants. Rather, through Isaac will your descendants be counted. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Rather, the children of promise are counted as as the descendants. And in verse 9, it says this, For this is what the promise declared. About a year from now, I will return in Sarah will have a son, speaking of Abraham. Not only that, then he goes to Abraham's son, Isaac. He says, not only that, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our ancestor Isaac, even before they were born or had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose and election would stand, not by works, but by his calling, it was said to Rebekah, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved but Esau I have hated. Wow. This is God speaking now. I can see some of y'all's eyes. You're like, whoa, this is God speaking. He says, before they did anything good or bad, I love Jacob and I hated Esau. So there's a reason why we're going to discuss this, right? My, my point was, is am I destined for hell? No, you are not. Okay. Now, so... First and foremost, let's establish this. God says, I I chose them before they were even born, whether they did good or bad before any of that, I chose them, right? So let's establish this. God is sovereign. Let's establish that. A lot of people don't like that term, right? But that's what it is. God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? It means that God can choose to do whatever he wants over his creation, right? You are his creation, and he can choose that. Keep one thing in mind, though. When you're thinking that, because I know our natural flesh tends to think of negative things, right? Keep one thing in mind. God is holy and God is just. Okay? He is holy and he is just. But this is important to note that God is sovereign. We can't take that away from him. We can't make it as though he's not. He is. And he states it in here. And Paul makes it, he makes it an important note to tell them that. That he chose them before they did anything good or bad while they were in the womb. He chose them, right, before they were born. That's important, okay? So he's sovereign, but he's holy and he's just. Remember that, okay? Now, he says this, and this is what I really want to pause on. Let's go to verse, um, he says, verse 13. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, I have hated. Do you remember... In the Lion King, where um, I think it was Rafiki, he's, he's talking to Simba, and he tells him to look into the water, and he says, I don't see anything. And then he tells him, look harder. 
and he touches the water, right? <laughs> so we see this word and we see hated, right? But we're going to look a little harder, okay? We're not just going to go on that and say, that's exactly what it says. That's exactly what he means because God isn't evil, okay? Remember that. So we're going to use some scripture to explain scripture, all right? So having said that, let's go to, uh, let's see, 1 John 4.20. Let's go to that. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Did you get that? And then he says, because the one who does not love his fellow Christian whom he has seen cannot love God with whom he has not seen. Well, Jesus saw God. Jesus is God. So how could Jesus hate? He says, you can't. Let's go to another verse. 1 John 3.15. I'm establishing something here. Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a what? Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So is it possible? Is it just possible that the word hate, when he uses it in chapter 9, that it doesn't quite mean what you think it means? Because if it did, well, then Jesus would be a murderer and a liar. right? It can't mean that. Let me show you an example in Scripture where the word hate is not used that way. And here's why that's important. We all use terms that don't mean what they used to mean, right? I walked out here just today, and I saw a maintenance guy outside. And I said, hey, did y'all solve this problem? And he says, yeah, we're up there looking at this and that and this and that. I said, oh, that's nice. I used the word nice. Now, we all know what the word nice means, right? Right? But I use it in a different context, right? And we all know that that context can also be, hey, man, that's great. That's good, right? It's not just, oh, it's pretty. It's not those type, right? It can mean various things. That's what's happening here when he uses the word hated. So let's go to Luke 14, 26. He says this. This is Jesus talking now. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus telling you to hate your mother and father? Doesn't Jesus tell you to honor your father and your mother? Okay, so he clearly doesn't mean the word hate as you and I take it as a definition, right? He doesn't mean that. He's talking about something different. Right? Now, in this context, he's saying, hey, anything compared to me is a problem. Right? No one should be above me. Right? Now, in Romans, it's a different context. But I wanted to show you that, and I wanted to show you those that, so that you can see in Scripture. God doesn't contradict himself, and also the word hate can be used in different ways. Right? It meant something different, depending on the context and what they were saying. So, in this context... Love and hate meant two different things. Love meant I chose you. Hated meant I rejected you. Okay? And you know what? God has that right. But he's not talking about salvation. Understand that. He's not talking about salvation. Okay? So, I have loved and I have hated. Now, How do we know? Well, I'll I'll start here. So Jacob and Esau. I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. This is how we know he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about the individual person. Okay? He's talking about nations is what he's talking about. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 1. Chapter 1, it says this. What follows is divine revelation. 
The word of the Lord came to who? Israel through Malachi, the prophet. Let's go on. I have shown love to you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you shown love to us? Esau was Jacob's brother, the Lord explained. Yet I chose Jacob. Okay. Why is he bringing Jacob and Esau when he's talking to Israel? Because he's talking about nations. And he says, and I rejected Esau. I turned Esau's mountain into a deserted, de deserted wasteland and gave his territory to the wild jackals. Let's go on. Edom says, well, who's Edom? Why is, why is he even talking about Edom? Because Esau represented Edom and all the other nations that weren't of God. Edom says, though we are devastated, we will once again build the ruined places so that the Lord who rules over all responds. They indeed may build, but I will overthrow, is what God says. They will be known as the land of evil, the people with whom the Lord is permanently displeased. Your eyes will see it, and then you will say, may the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of Israel. Now, that's important. He's speaking of nations, and then he ends with this. May the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of Israel. Now, that's important, especially in the context in which we're talking about. So he's speaking of nations when he says Jacob. Jacob was also known as Israel, right? Speaking of nations, Jacob I have loved. In other words, I chose Jacob. I chose. And Esau I have hated. I have rejected this. Okay? So we see that he's talking about nations. He is not talking about the individual. So don't naturally think, man, he hated a baby before he was born and they didn't even do anything. That's not what was going on. Okay. Remember that. Okay. So now that still means God is sovereign and that still means that God can choose. And he did choose the people of Israel. Those were his people. He chose them. Okay. Remember again, that is not talking about salvation. How do we know that's not talking about salvation? Besides what we just read, how else do we know? Let's turn to John 3.16. We all know this verse. For this is the way God loved who? The world. He didn't say you. He didn't say me. He didn't say, well, maybe this next person. He said the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we know he's not talking about the individual. We also know according to John chapter 12, verse 32, I, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw who? All people to myself. So every one of us have a shot at salvation. Every one of us. He didn't reject us. He didn't tell us no. Right? So it's not talking about an individual. Okay? It's talking about nations. They were representing nations. Okay? Now, and if lastly, you can say this in 2 Peter 3.9. Let's turn there real quick. It says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. What's the promise? The blessing through Abraham, right? promised Holy Spirit, as some regard slowness, but is being patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all, so any and all to come to repentance. So we all have a shot, and that's the point, right? So Jacob and Esau, something totally different. He's talking about nations there, but he is declaring he still is sovereign, and that's important to note. Now, so am I predestined to hell? No. You can see that clearly through these verses. So hopefully I've demonstrated to you enough that hatred doesn't mean what you think it means. So don't ever read that and think someone may come up to you, even a Christian, a Calvinist or someone and say, hey, you know what? No, God predestined this, 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 this. No, 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 no. Remember this. Remember what you're hearing. Remember what you're learning. Okay. It does not mean that. And we showed you in scripture and scripture and scripture. Okay. So my next point is this. Am I predestined to reject God on earth? Now that's different than hell. 
Am I predestined right now that if, the, if salvation comes to me, am I predestined to reject it? And my answer again is no. You are not predestined to reject it. Now, these are some of the questions that will arise when you read chapter 9. Right? They will arise, especially when you get somebody who's a little bit more educated and they're going to start asking some of these questions. But you're not predestined to, be, to, to reject God or to go to hell. Okay. Now, let's, let's talk about this topic. Okay, so let's read Romans chapter 9, verse 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human desire or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may demonstrate my power in you and that my name be preached or proclaimed in all the earth. So then God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. Another mouthful, right? And now we see that and we say, well, then God does harden people. Now they are predestined to reject him, right? That's a problem. Well, let's discuss that. Let's look a little harder. Okay, let's do that. Okay, so God starts off and he quotes Exodus 33, 19 when he says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's actually speaking to Moses when Moses asks God, can I see your glory? And so God says, you know what, I'm going to hide you in the cliff and this and that and you're going to see my back. That's when he quotes this scripture. That's when, when God tells him that. So basically he's saying, I will show favor and love to whom I will show favor and love. That's what he's saying, right? So why does Paul quote that? Especially after I have loved Jacob and I have rejected Esau. Because he's making it a point that God chose to love Israel. He chose them. That's his right to choose them. And he chose them. So he quotes this scripture, right? So going on, I have chose to love them. I have chose to choose them, basically, if that makes sense. He has that right, and that's what he's getting at, okay? Now, he goes on and he says this. Now, always, always, always in your mind, nations. He's speaking about nations. He's still talk, He's bringing up Pharaoh, but it's still the same subject. He didn't change subjects now. He talked about Jake, Jacob and, I, and, and Esau, but he did not change subjects. He's just giving other examples, okay? Now, Romans chapter 17, he says this. Let's go to 17, or verse 9, 17, sorry. For the scripture says, Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up so that I may demonstrate my power in you and that my name be proclaimed in all the earth. And then he says, so then God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. Now, this is what's interesting, Okay. Let's read Exodus chapter 9, verse 15 through 16. And this is important, okay? He says, so then God, oh, actually, you're not there yet. Let's see, Exodus chapter 9, verse 15. So, and I really want to focus on the purpose part. Here's why. So when he says God had a purpose for him, it doesn't mean that he raised him up from a little boy from birth. That doesn't mean that. Right? We, we can naturally input that in Scripture, but that's not what it's saying. Okay? God does place people in power. 
He does do that. He rose Joseph in power and so on and so forth. You can find other examples. But it doesn't mean that they were little boys and that's he raised them to be bad the whole time. That's not what it means because he's not talking about salvation. Okay. So he says this in, in 9.15. We're going to go 15 and 16. He says, for by now I could have stretched out. Now this is, mo this is God talking to Pharaoh. He says, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague. And you would have been destroyed from the earth. But for this purpose, we see that word again, I have caused you to stand to show you my strength and so that my name may be declared in all the earth. Do you see some common themes here? There's a purpose. I could have destroyed you, but I did not. I'm patient. And not only that, but so that I can declare and show my power and my name will be declared in all the earth. Do you see that? That's in various scriptures we just read. And this, what, what's interesting about this scripture, the reason why I put it up there is because he tells Moses, by now I could have destroyed you. In other, words, Mo, in other words, Pharaoh was already doing wrong. He was already hardened. So God tells him, by now I could have destroyed you if I wanted to, but I'm not going to now. Why? Because now I have purposed you. Now I have purposed you. Okay. So this guy was already doing bad. And God says, okay, we're going to get to that then. So now. Let's go back to Romans chapter 9. He says this in verse 18. He hardens whom he chooses to harden. What does he mean by harden? Okay, so the word harden, let's turn to Exodus 4.21. Now this is God speaking again. And he says, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the wonders I have put under your control. But I will harden his heart. And he will not let the people of God go. Okay. The word hardened there in Hebrew, it actually, it, the word is actually kozak. That's the word. And it actually means to strengthen his resolve. So when we say harden, it doesn't mean like he cursed him or anything like that. It means that he was already hard and God strengthened that resolve. In other words, Pharaoh was like, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and no matter what, I'm going to continue to do it. And then God steps in and says, okay, I'm going to strengthen that resolve. Now I'm going to make it even stronger. That's what he's saying here. That's what the word means, strengthen his resolve. That's one meaning. Another meaning, and, and we find this, we find throughout Scripture that Pharaoh was already hardening his own heart. We find that. We don't have to turn there, but Exodus 8.15, 9.15, or 9.17, we find that several times where where Pharaoh was already hardening his heart. And in fact, well, before we get to the second meaning of heart of harden is this. Uh, the term is kaved or kaved, okay? Kavad, I'm sorry. Now, that is found in Exodus 10.1. Let's turn there real quick. Exodus 10.1. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order to display these signs of mine before him. This word harden means this, to carry with heavy burden or make insensible. Now, what's interesting about the word hardened is you will find that it never says in Scripture, the only time it says that God, or I shouldn't say that, the first time it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart was after the sixth plague. Think about that. So in, in verse 10.1, right before 10.1, so it's 9, I forget the verse, right before then, he just completed the sixth plague. And now God says, I have hardened his heart. So he went through six plagues, hardening his own heart. Okay? Remember that. That's important. 
So when we see this face, face value, we think, man, God did this. No, 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 the guy was already doing bad. He was already hardening his own heart. God just strengthened that. After the sixth plague, he said, okay. And that's why, we, why, that's why I put the other scripture in there. He says, I have purposed for him to do this very thing. Why? Because he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't turn. Exodus also says at the very beginning when he's talking to Moses, he tells Moses, Pharaoh will not listen. Pharaoh will not listen. Then I will harden his heart. So he already knew Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. God didn't start that hardening. He didn't create it in his heart. It was already there. Okay, so remember that. Now, again, we're talking about nations. He was wanting Pharaoh to let who? The Israelites go. Out of where? Out of Egypt. Okay? So there's a national thing going on, and he's talking about his people. Now, there's a reason why Paul is talking about his people, and he's describing that to them, and we're going to read that here in just a second. In verse 19, he says this. So you will say to me, now Paul makes an argument that people would naturally make after reading all that. Paul makes an argument. He says, you will say then to me, why does God still find fault in us? For who has ever resisted his will? But who indeed are you? And this is Paul snapping back at that argument. Who indeed are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Does what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special use and another for ordinary use? But what, we'll stop there. So Paul just says, man, who are you to say that to God? Isn't God holy? Isn't he just? Isn't he all-knowing? As though I'm all-knowing. As though I can stand before God and say, well, then you did this. I couldn't stand before God at all, right? So Paul says, don't, don't ever have that argument. Don't have that argument in your toolbox. That's going nowhere, okay? Who are you, a mere human, to talk to the God? In other words, you create a drawing on your paper and you throw it away. What if that paper looked back and you say, why are you throwing me away? You know, can you imagine that? That would just be absurd, right? So don't make those type of arguments. Don't blame God for these things. Now, again, Paul is responding to this type of argument, but he's already explaining what he's talking about. And he's talking about nations. And he goes on and he says this, verse 22. This leads me to my next point. He says, are you God's counselor? That's my next point. Are you God's counselor? And my answer is no. Okay. So we just read that and we, we understand, understand this. If, if anything else, you don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve that. Okay. You don't. Just understand that. Okay. What you do deserve is his justice. Okay. R.C. Sproul, I believe, said that. Powerful quote. In other words, I'm a sinner. And when I stand before God, I deserve punishment. That's what I actually deserve. I don't deserve grace. But grace was given to us. What a wonderful gift. Through Jesus Christ, grace has been given to us. So we're not God's counselors to stand before him and say, why did you do this? You're deserving of nothing. Remember that. God has done this in his grace towards us, and his loving kindness towards us to give us Jesus Christ. In verse 22, he says this, But what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath to make known his power, has endured with much patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he is willing to make known the wealth of his glory and the objects of mercy that he has prepared beforehand for glory? You know what he's saying there? What if God, 
knows the people that are headed for destruction, and he's patient with them. He's patient, right? And he's fulfilling his purposes and promises and everything else through them and through us so that we also would benefit from that. That's what he's saying, right? So that we can then be glorified. We can share in his glory, right? The whole time God is accomplishing something, whether somebody rejects him or not, God is accomplishing something. And then he goes on in verse 24, even us, and this is where Paul is getting at. This is why he's talking to them about this. Verse 24, he says, even whom he has called out, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. He just reached back in the Old Testament, talking to the Jewish people, and now he's explaining to them what he's actually talking about. He's saying, man, I'm talking about you and me. We weren't in the fold. We weren't the Jews. And he said, no, 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 no. He says, I'm talking about them from the Gentiles. And he says, as he says in Hosea, we're going to read verse 20. There we go. He says, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and I will call her who was unloved, my beloved. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people there, they will be called the sons of the living God. 